Hello and welcome to New Time Religion, a podcast featuring Dr. Andy Root with me, Derek Tronsgaard. It is great to have you with us. Before we get started today, I want to say a quick thank you to everyone who has called in and left us messages on our brand new phone hotline. We love hearing from all of you. Your questions and ideas are going to help us come up with new episodes in the future. So if you haven't called us yet, the number is 651-800-1089. That's 651-800-1089. You can call right now. Even if it's the middle of the night, you won't wake us up. We're actually not going to pick up, but you can leave us a message. And maybe, just maybe, your question will become a topic for a future episode of our show. Thanks again for listening. It's great to have you with us. And without further ado, here's another round of New Time Religion. So right now, as I'm working on this episode, it is the week before Thanksgiving here in America. And most people are getting ready to get together with family and friends to celebrate the holiday. And one of the things that people say you absolutely shouldn't do, the one thing that people say is the surefire way to ruin your Thanksgiving is to talk about politics. So when you're sitting at the table with your family and friends, they say, don't talk about politics. Don't bring up Trump. Don't bring up the impeachment. Don't get into that argument with your uncle who spends all day reading conspiracy theories on Reddit. Just eat your turkey and talk about anything else other than politics. Now, this is probably great advice if you want to have a happy Thanksgiving, but the truth is, right now, you're probably not sitting at the table with your friends and relatives. Right now, you're listening to this podcast, and on today's show, we are going to dive deep into politics and religion and all of the other things that you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. Now, this is a conversation that Andy actually thinks is incredibly important. And for him, it goes back to the work of Charles Taylor. He's that social theorist that we've been talking a lot about on our show. And Taylor thinks that you can't understand modern politics without understanding how they're influenced and even constructed by recognition and our modern concept of identity. Now, according to Andy, things are amplified and accelerated even more when you throw social media into the mix. Twitter, when mixed with recognition and identity formation and a touch of outrage plus some politics, makes everything loud and fast and harsh and divisive and destructive. So what is social media doing to us? What's it doing to our society? How do outrage and identity construction and recognition shape our nation and our culture and our politics? How is Twitter threatening to ruin Western civilization? And what does it all have to do with that story a few months back of that Trump hat wearing teenager who was protesting with his friends on the class trip in DC? Do you remember that guy? For all of that and a little more, just before your Thanksgiving holiday. Here's Andy. 
I, I always sometimes feel like I'm falling into this trap more and more um, of just feeling like, man, social media. Like, do we really know what it's what it's doing to us, you know? And um, yeah, it's 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 crazy. So I had this total experience around uh, well, a few months ago now, um, the big hot weekend um, outrage moment of the kid in the in the MAGA hat. Yeah, um, you know, at in DC. So that was that was the kid who had the red Trump hat on and, yeah, and yeah, the yeah, Native yeah. American uh, yeah. demonstrators and yeah, yeah, and where the the news relayed one story or uh, clips and then a whole narrative was spun and then we got longer and then it, you know people had to retract and then it just started to be a divide of well maybe no one should uh, should um, everybody had their hot take on everyone it. had their hot take on it and yeah it was it's such a complicated issue but then it's just it's fascinating how how outrage becomes so important you know like to be outraged anger seems to be one way you can project your your identity i had a a very different experience of it because i i you know i don't know this kid obviously but i would tend to think that he's probably a little bit of a jerk maybe maybe is a little bit of a moron i don't know i mean he he does look hateable from the picture you know but i also had this deep concern that um I, well, what was kind of popping into my mind was Bonhoeffer's, the only radio address Bonhoeffer did was this radio address, The Younger Generation's Conception of the Fear. It's like 1935-ish. And it really is about how this government has used the passion of young people and in many ways the discontent of young people for their own political gains. How they've used the discontents of the German youth movement to um, win, win support. And what's fascinating about the the presentation is that you know it's over the radio, obviously, and it's cut off halfway through. And we still to this were, day were the Nazis in power at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they had they had yeah they were in power. I think I'm not the Kristallnacht was uh, yeah it was earlier than this. They're they're, they're so was power. the assumption that the Nazis were the ones who? Well, we don't who, know for sure. I mean, it, it obviously is something Goebbels' office would do. Uh, we don't know if it was technical difficulties or actual censorship. But Karl Bonhoeffer, Dietrich's father, was uh, the chair of psychiatry at the University of Berlin. So he had enough pull to get the whole mm-hmm. lecture address put into the paper uh but we so that's how we we have the whole thing but it it was cut off from from radio broadcast but got out to the public but it was fascinating because dietrich was saying like young people um we should never blame young people but young people can be co-opted and used um, and used for pretty diabolical purposes so flash forward to january 2019 and seeing the social media people go crazy I just had these shivers go down my spine because uh, I mean, at, at, when I started to, to read these tweets and things, I didn't even have thoughts of like, well, this kid actually is innocent or I don't think you can say the kid is innocent or that this it, maybe there's a bigger story here. Maybe it isn't exactly what we should. I didn't even have that. I was just like concerned that the more out of our own need for outrage to feel like we're on the right side, the more we allow um, kids like this to be potentially taken in for very evil, um, very evil uses. So, so do you mean like he was sort of dehumanized and then used as a symbol for political purposes? Is so, that what you're getting at? Well, or? this is what I'm getting at. And so this makes me have to step back and tell another story. But two years ago, I taught a class in January in Australia. It's a class on culture and uh, it's about 20, 
three students. We're introducing ourselves to each other, like first thing, you know, like what's your name, where are you from, and what reason did you take this class? Like those are the questions. So we get to like the fourth person lands on like a 60, early 60-year-old man, short guy, probably 5'8", um, but well put together, nice sweater on. And he says this, this, this okay, so this is, this is January 2017. This is just days after, maybe it was during the class that Trump was inaugurated. Ha- inaugurated. So we get to this guy and he says... Hi, my name's so and so. I could tell you the guy's name. You could find he's got a he's got a Wikipedia page. He says, "Hi, my name's so and so." And well, I guess you know I'm from here. And um, the reason I'm taking this class is because well, I have two classes left in my degree. And um, well, I'm also part of this group called the Alt Right. And uh, I just really want to know how we can get more alt right, particularly men, to come to church. And I almost laughed at first, you know, because it was just everywhere in the. You thought he was was joking? I thought he was joking. Like, oh, (laughs) that's hilarious. Like, Trump's just being inaugurated. How funny. He was not joking. It ended up to be the most stressful five days of my life teaching this intensive course um, because this guy could take every left leaning identity politic and turn it on its head as a kind of white supremacist um, perspective. And he was he was basically the leader of the alt-right in Australia. What was what was the class you were teaching? Or what was it was the... a culture class. So I was going to have to like give a class on um, issues of like race and hip-hop. And, th- and, and I would get up like sweating. I mean, this guy was a trial lawyer and he had been a professor in a um, institute like in a university in Australia and he actually lost his position and it became a huge um, Australian uh, kind of uh, a media event because he lost his position but he had tenure so it became a big big conversation of how far does intellectual freedom go can you say racist things and keep your job and uh, he, he didn't and but now he was like one of the leaders of the alt-right but this guy's incredibly rhetorically bright you know like PhD and a trial lawyer, you know, at least a lawyer. And so I had to think, okay, now I'm going to have to talk to this person and and I'm not even in my own country. Um, And it was, it was just incredibly stressful. So what became really clear though, is that this guy had an incredible agenda and he was in, in, in connected and Watching what happened then in 2019, I just have this deep, eerie feeling, all of kind of Bonhoeffer's lecture, that Trump is Trump, mm-hmm. but Trump's undisciplined. Trump is about Trump. But having met this man, you recognize that there are people out there with incredibly evil intentions that are way smarter, way more disciplined more connections. And what I really worry about is... Trump Trump is kind of like the blunt instrument. Trump's the blunt instrument in the history that they would write. Trump, you know, in his awkward uh, bull in a china stop, chop away. Serving kids McDonald's. Yeah, like he, <laughs> he, he made a way for their movement. But the, the real leaders of this are coming. Uh, coming. And, and I had read this book um, by this scholar named Mishra. And his, he writes this book called The Age of Anger. 
And he shows that really throughout modernity. I mean, part of this, we talked about Isaiah Berlin earlier in, in Germany and, and Romanticism, that modernity has always had a group within it. There's always groups within it because of the kind of sense of progress and because there's really, we're bound in an imminent frame as opposed to having some kind of transcendent referent that calls us to obedience because of the sense that you can make your own life and then we can that, that think, you're the one calling the shots of your identity yes it's not something given to you you have the responsibility and the freedom to go out and make choices right yeah so when you can't do that yep. at a larger level it leads you like, like if there's systemic things that are that are preventing you from doing that yeah okay. so like if your life isn't better than you thought it was going to be or mm-hmm. better than your parents it's it's a, a kind of movement of modernity that goes all the way back to the Napoleonic Wars to look around and, and to galvanize yourself and say it's th- there they're the ones who are keeping us from it they're the problem and this is what uh, Nietzsche called resentment mm-hmm. um, it's resentment but in the in the French kind of conception of it it's this it's it's this narrative of self-injury someone else is injuring me someone else is keeping me from living the life I'm supposed to live or, or that I could live or that modernity promises me but I'm not getting to so then you start to demonize these other people well, and, and, and like in like in Hitler's case yeah you it was the stabbed so so the Germans lost World War one yeah because of the Jews and so they scapegoated them and yeah the rest exactly literally is history yeah, yeah 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 so that I mean that's definitely plays out of resentment but his point is, is this bubbles up other places so my biggest concern and I think I think Bonhoeffer is kind of getting at this is that if you take a kid like that MAGA hat kid and you just eviscerate him without even due process even in the, in the public realm and you just eviscerate him people like this guy that I met in Australia will either through social media or in some form will sneak into this kid's ear and say you got to take America back. The only way that you're going to ever be able to have a good life is you've got to rise up and fight. You've got to fight. I mean, every school shooter in this country has been a white male. And if we can't find a way to take these young kids of privilege who are annoying, I get it, and find a way to give them a narrative sense of what their lives could mean, we we leave them open to be radicalized. There is this deep sense of our, our kind of ecosystem of needing, our ecosystem on, on social media of needing recognition, 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 showing your outrage accelerates things to such a speed that we lose even the virtues of patient due process of recognition that this is a child and a child that may need to be punished, a child that may need to be um, uh, uh I don't know, put on a different path, but nevertheless, the child. And I just, I really, I, yeah, I, I, watching that unfold, I had a, a huge nightmare. Is that what we're actually doing is, is uh, creating the conditions for the whole West to burn. And so I, I just worry about that. And so you think about like people who work and do youth ministry and things, there could be really significance to what we do and trying to think about um, these narratives. I just wonder, I mean, to, to close this down, this conversation, this maybe controversial conversation down, I just really wish that we would learn more or follow or study more what happened in South Africa and what, what Bishop Tutu did. Because what Tutu did is he put the whole system on trial, not individuals. What we did in social media is we put that kid on trial. 
and we we wanted to eviscerate and destroy him, not ask what's wrong with the system that this this could happen. Tutu's whole perspective is he knew that if we don't put the system on trial and don't have distinct processes for reconciliation, we will breed just more and more resentment in this country will never move forward. So this we, we've talked about storytelling and this, the need to tell story, the need to have like experience of each other's humanity. And I just worry in social media, it's not possible. Like Tutu worked hard to get the Truth and Reconciliation Committees to be on television so that the whole country could participate in the stories of this. I just wonder if it's actually the reverse in our time. Like when this goes social media we're effed like we're screwed because we dehumanize each other for ideological purposes because ideology is more um more easily kind of transferable it's tweetable it's tweetable um it riles up it creates you don't need complexity you you don't need it at all you and and you and you can just divide teams so so quickly that way um and so um yeah i just wonder if if we need to learn from that and and instead of our yeah Instead of our, our leaders of faith communities rushing to judgment, um, if we don't need, I don't know. I just, I've never been someone with my kind of Lutheran sensibilities of that's been into like uh, virtue ethics or even virtue. I, haven't, I just haven't thought about it much in my, except these last few years, thinking about the importance of things like humility and, um, and even patience um, as really fundamental Christian virtues that really are hard to hold on to in a social media world. What conclusion did Bonhoeffer come to when he's when he's talking about all these kids that are getting enthralled by the Nazi rallies and parades and the ethos of all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think the big takeaway for us here is in that lecture throughout the rest of Bonhoeffer's um, ministry with the young people, particularly in this time, is he never demonized the young person, the system, the leaders. The, the people who were forcing upon them the conception of the Fuhrer. He was aware that they were susceptible to a messianic leader and that now they were being manipulated. So Bonhoeffer would not not demonize the mega hat kid, but he would say the mega hat kid needs to confess, the mega hat kid needs to recognize his consequences, but he needs to remain a person. Not the representation of an ideology, but he needs to remain um, a person in the midst of this. So I think that he has to move through a process of confession. And um, I think we do have to call a thing what it is. We do have to call evil, evil. I've said, can we really wrestle with radical evil? I'm sure some think him putting on that hat means that he is dealing with, he is he is part of radical evil. Um, I think what Tutu taught us, however, is that the way you deal with radical forms of evil is that you have to use classic Christian practices of forgiveness, humanization, stories of shared personhood to, to actually break that. And you can't break it by getting revenge. And now what we have is revenge on top of revenge on top of revenge. And I'm afraid alt-right power brokers whisper in that kid's ear, you got to get your revenge. Yeah. And I think that's what was kind of shocking to me is that in the midst of this, the calls were for revenge from both sides, actually. You know, revenge, let's get revenge, let's get revenge, let's get revenge. Not what would it mean to actually think about what should be done inside the very, in response to God's very nature as a minister. 
um, that upholds persons, that uh, that looks for unions of hypostasis, unions of persons, that actually functions out of a, a canonic disposition of humility, that nevertheless calls the thing what it is. And uh, this thing was wrong. Um, but the point is confession uh, towards absolution. So there, there is a sense of what is our eschatological horizon. And I think sometimes we get so, social media leads us to play the game of recognition that we lose that there's a deeper eschatological horizon which really is forgiveness which really is restoration which really is humility and peace um and instead we want to make sure everyone who follows us on twitter sees that we're outraged by this um it's all virtue signaling and yeah 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 New Time Religion is a podcast featuring Dr. Andrew Root, which is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell a friend or two about our show. You can find more of Andy's books on his website, andrewroot.org, and you can order them on Amazon. His most recent series focuses on Charles Taylor's work in the secular age, and his new book, The Pastor in a Secular Age, is out now. New Time Religion is a production of the Alter Guild Podcast Network, and you can check them out at alterguild.org for more great shows. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time for another round of New Time Religion.